You're tuned in to the Nonprofit Chatter, brought to you by Nonprofit Pro with our friends at Pursuant. New T and Taylor Shanklin are getting real and sitting down with nonprofit leaders to chatter about issues affecting nonprofits today. Be sure to subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss these conversations with your nonprofit peers. And check us out on the web at nonprofitpro.com slash podcast slash nonprofit hyphen chatter. Welcome to the Nonprofit Chatter Podcast, hosted by me, New T, Editor-in-Chief of Nonprofit Pro. And me, Taylor Shanklin, VP of Marketing at Pursuant. The Nonprofit Chatter will give you an insider's look on the most pressing challenges facing nonprofit leaders and fundraisers today, and we'll show you how to overcome them. In each episode, we'll engage in invigorating conversation with industry leaders and find out what tools and tactics people need in their repertoire to help their vision become a reality. So in episode number three of the Nonprofit Chatter, we will explore ideas around integrated fundraising. We'll be joined today by Clay Buck, the Chief Development Officer of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Southern Nevada, and Rebecca Segovia, Executive Vice President at Pursuant. Clay and Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you both here. And we are extremely excited to talk to you about integrated fundraising. How are you both doing? Good. Thank you so much for having us. I'm happy to be here. Yes, thanks for inviting us. We're excited to explore this topic on integrated fundraising. Fantastic. That is so great to hear. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it. So first and foremost, you know, I think this can be a really complex topic. So Clay, I'm gonna uh, ask you to get started. What does integrated fundraising mean to you and the nonprofit sector? I mean, I think that's a really big question in many ways because it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I think both having been a frontline fundraiser and a consultant in hearing that phrase integrated fundraising, I think the the things that we respond to most are, well, well, it means you've got to have direct mail and digital and online and phone and mobile and work those things t- together. And that's true. That's certainly part of it and, and absolutely appropriate. But to, to me, really, truly having an integrated fundraising program is, is more about the story overall and the messaging overall so that all elements of the of the of the program are integrated it, it's not just making sure that you have direct mail and digital working together but is the messaging you're telling in your major gift visits the same as what you're telling in grant proposals the same as what you're you're posting online and in your direct mail appeal so truly integrating is big and it's daunting but it really drives that whole story that's being told across every approach you're taking in your fundraising program and through that fundraising plan. Couldn't agree more, Clay. Um, we see this in the clients that we work with that sometimes integrated fundraising can be isolated to just what's happening at the general fund. But you're right, you've got to take a step back and really involve a, a full culture of philanthropy inside the organization where that overarching story is the drumbeat that happens at the general fund, at the mid-level, at major. It's really that thread that is running throughout the organization to drive, um, honestly, long-term results. So we're looking for that donor lifetime value and the long game, if you will, instead of the short game of just what what story is going to bring those dollars in um, quickly. But having that overarching case for support and then driving towards an overarching goal across all channels 
is what integrative fundraising integrative fundraising means to me, and and it's what we try to um, discuss with the clients. We have the opportunity to come alongside. What's been the biggest challenge for you, Clay, um, in in your work in doing integrative fundraising where you are? <laughs> data. <laughs> I heard giggles. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, Taylor, you know, and and you all said, you know, Clay's a data guy because I am, and I and I and I and I'm laughing, but I also mean that seriously. Yeah. Because without good data, who are you integrating? What channels yeah. are you integrating? And if you if you you can have a beautiful story in the world, but if you don't have great data, who know who your prospects or your donors are, or know what that strategy and engagement is, you know it's <laughs> sound and fury signifying nothing, right? So let let, let me add that step to integrating, meaning it's it's not just having the comms together, it's not just having the different levels, as you said, but it's having the infrastructure to support it, too. And I find the biggest challenges in, in, in that data and infrastructure of delivering the message as as making sure you've got as many channels working as you can. Absolutely. Data is a diplomat in a lot of things. And I find <laughs> with the organizations that we have um, the chance to work with is that sometimes bringing all that data together can be scary um, because it lives sometimes in siloed places. So it could be in a donor database somewhere. It could mm-hmm. be in an Excel database um, mm-hmm. somewhere. And so what does it look like you know, to get all that together so that you can make those decisions that are going to make um, your work smarter, better, faster, all of those things. So when you're um, approaching that, um, what does that look like for you? How are you peeling back the onion, if you will, um, hey, and finding data? Yeah, I, I mean, I think – so there's two answers to that, right? One, yeah. the, the first is we live in a world now where everybody's got to be a little bit of a data geek, and there are enough products and there's enough – work that we can all approach data. I mean, the fact that I can even, you know, Excel is a miracle <laughs> with, with sort of my medical technical background, right? There's nothing that says I should be good at it. I, I did it because I had to. So so that that to me is is a big part of it is 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 getting enough of knowledge to to have the infrastructure underneath you. But I've also approached it, you know, if we're not good at something, if we can't do the thing and we don't have the bandwidth or the resources to do the thing, then don't do the thing, right? Mm -hmm. There are certain things you have to do, right? You have to be good at your data. You're decent at your data. You have to have a CRM. You have to have certain aspects. But if we we start grabbing things, oh, we've got to be on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat Mm -hmm. and you know, if you're not, don't do it. Does it might mean you're missing an audience or missing a channel? Yeah, sure, but we can't all do all things well. So I, I, that that to me has been the approach, and especially when I'm developing a plan or looking at things, is is do the, do the things that we can do well. Have that next list of when we've got these mastered, move on to the next ones or add them in as we can. But we don't have to be all things to all people all the time. I wholeheartedly agree. Like we love to use data as the baseline, and we'll try to pull from all the different um, tools that our clients are using to give them a holistic view. But then it's really just doing exactly what you said, focusing on um, kind of the big rocks, if you will, or um, the basic blocking and tackling to make sure that you've got those working um, and they're working well. 
And then what is the next thing that we can add in that can help plus what we've already got going on right. and, and measuring and testing that and saying, okay, this is up and running, this is working, and then move on to the next thing. So whether it's getting the letters out or the new donor welcome series set up or um, an upgrade path or a recurring giving um, program, it's just making sure that your social is working um, all on point, just making sure that you're doing the right things um, that can drive revenue first and then coming alongside and building the next thing. And so helping our teams really figure out, okay, what's the first thing that we need to do? I love that you called that out. Yeah. We, um, you know, we, we look at thank you letters, and then this is certainly as we look at, you know, donor retention rates and all of that. I mean, just, just as an example of exactly what you're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that acknowledgement and stewardship process absolutely has to be a part of that integrated plan from the get-go. Yep. Start with the end in mind, right? And, yep. You know, there are organizations that there are very legitimate reasons why a 48-hour thank you letter turnaround is just not feasible. For whatever reason of that infrastructure, whether it's staffing, production capabilities, da- data, whatever. So, okay, release yourself from that, but do what you can. And yeah. I, think, I think too often we grab at, oh, I have to do this thing. Yeah, you do, but do it in a way that is meaningful ahead, to sorry. you and do it in a way that is meaningful to your donors and that makes sense and falls within. If you can't do 48 hours of 72 possible, can, yep. can, you, can, you, can you do an email and say, hey, your letter's on the way, but we wanted to get this out? It, it's about having the tools and the resources and the knowledge of best practice at your fingertips to be able to do the things that you can well and do them across as many channels and, and through as many through lines as you can. Wholeheartedly agree. Um, does your organization use a comprehensive marketing calendar? Do we or should we? That has been something that, you know, if we can um, sit with the clients and we have the opportunity to serve and get marketing and fundraising and anybody else that has an opinion on that in the same room, and start literally whiteboarding out, okay, what's happening across um, all the channels currently, and then where can we start, you know, adding in and integrating things that are going to help drive a consistent story to what we were talking about, case or support at the beginning of the um, podcast, and then finding the areas where it could be missing or where can we plus something. So I love that you asked the question, do we or should we, because we hear that um, all the time. And so I would, I'd love to encourage those listening to, you know, bring the right people into the room and start um, with the very basics of laying that out so that you can see where your areas of opportunity are to continue to integrate and then where those silos are where you might not yet be integrating. I'd love to hear from you, Clay, what you've experienced with that. And in the, in the genesis of my question, do we or should we, is, is yes, we should. We absolutely should. Do we? We haven't done it yet. It's it's on the work plan, right? Because we want right. to be thoughtful and considerate about it. So we've, um, again, I've ju- I've just been in this in this role about six months, um, but have used those plans in other organizations and as as a consultant previously. I, I totally agree with it, but at the same time, we're being thoughtful about looking at the year as a whole and looking at the where the needs are. And honestly, I, I tend to approach of what what is our what is our say and what is our board saying about who we are and where we are and what are we doing and what do we need to do, and that really drives 
than what our communications calendar and plan and all of that and the, and the fundraising strategy overall looks like because, man, that is the most powerful tool in the world to walk into a boardroom and go, here's the plan. This is what we're doing, and it lets your leadership – it not only guide but it lets your leadership know too that hey, these they know what they're doing. So you know, let them go because there's a document that shows what it is you're intending to do and how you're going to get there. Where you need their help, right? Absolutely. So when it's on your plan that this is driven by the board, you know, and they sign off on it, it's right there on paper. Going, all right, we got to step up there. Yes, absolutely. I absolutely love what you guys are saying, and you know what? I couldn't agree more. In this multi-channel world, it's more than just distributing messages across multiple channels. In order for integrated fundraising to be successful, the nonprofit needs to develop a strategic plan to activate and engage supporters. So can you elaborate on that? I'd like to hear your thoughts and how you think organizations can be successful in doing so. Well, again, I think, I think a lot of it is about... Um, knowing who you are and knowing where you are and, and, and what's very specific to your organization. There are certain organizations, and, and I'm going to kind of drill down here a little bit you know, into, into my world, my favorite world, <laughs> Daniel Giving, the general campaign, right? Like you, you, digital, direct mail, phone, right? All of those strategies. There, there are places you just don't belong because that's not who you are. There are certain organizations that can take a tone and, and an approach that may not work for others. And you know, to use an example from the marketing world, um, I'm thinking of Wendy's, right? And their very tongue-in-cheek, irreverent um, Twitter campaign, which is just brilliant, and it works for them. But just because another organization does it does not mean it will work for you. So it's a lot about knowing who you are and what your visible presence and what your story is. Um, we have an organization in Las Vegas that t tweets and posts both on Twitter and Facebook, um, some on Instagram, but every day is another kind of mission story, if you will. And it, it's a homeless shelter, and it's somebody they've served. And our community really looks forward to those, and we share them with each other because they're these great stories of people in our community that, that resonate. And the tone and the way they've done it, the approach that they've taken to it is just beautiful. So me messaging is one. And then second is, who, who are you? What is, the, what is the vision that you want to convey in the community? And sometimes that vision is very buttoned up and very serious, and that's all right. And other times, for others, it works to be a little irreverent and a little funny and a little on edge. It's, it's about really identifying that and knowing that. I would agree. I love the story that um, you shared of the shelter and how they're, they've got an intentionality and how they're pushing those stories out. So kind of play off the activation of that. So now they've got this great um, brand awareness build and they've got goodwill built. How do they take and then activate or galvanize their file to take action along a certain campaign that would, again, um, help move their mission or their cause forward? And so I think it's important to make sure that you have brand clarity um, in your acquisition and in your acquisition effort so that you can drive towards an activation event and hopefully drive towards a conversion event from there. And that can be at any level of the pyramid. 
I love that you said conversion, and thank you for bringing. Thank you for for putting that in there because you're exactly right. You know, a, a pound of awareness has never raised a dime. You know, right. so you can have a whole community aware of what you do, but you kind of have a good portion of that community giving to you as well. So at some point, there has to be action, and balancing those two together, yeah, is 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 critical and there's there's a thing where i think sometimes we get a little too um focused on integrating because we think oh well direct mail is where we ask social media is where we tell Mm, i kind of really think you got to be doing both on on all channels and and every channel because some people may only be interacting with you um, via mail, and some may only be interacting with you via social or your email or your newsletter or whatever it may be. At least, and again, coming from the consulting world, what I saw most was was donors actually channel hopping. So they'd give direct mail here, and then they'd give online over there, and then they'd respond to something. And now we've got Facebook, which is a whole other arena of giving. You know, they're they're hopping from channel to channel, so. I don't think we can necessarily predict where people are going to give. So having both action and story, every channel is is pretty critical. Wholeheartedly agree there. And I love the fact that the messages that we're putting out there should be complementary. They don't have to be the same. So you can tell a part of uh, part of one story in the mail, another part of it in digital, another part on mm-hmm. social. They all be together because people are consuming it in all those different channels. There's sometimes where you're going to have completely different stories. But I love it when you can kind of weave the story in different places. Because what we've seen and what I bet you've experienced is when people are giving in one channel, so in direct mail, they're worth, you know, X amount of dollars. Um, if, they, if you have their email associated with their direct mail, they're a more valuable donor. And if you can talk to them in all the channels out there, social, digital, phone, face-to-face, like literally all of them, you know the value of that donor is actually going to rise the more ways that you're able to communicate with them and share your case for support because then they're raving fans if they're actually paying attention to you in that many right. places. And right. so that, you know, you've got that consistent case for support um, both the brand and what the outcomes of what the organization is doing as well as how you can help next. And so I love that. And remember that, you know, the people who review your grant proposals, especially when you're talking with local foundations and local businesses, they're members of the community too. And I've literally sat in meetings with funders who have said, you know, I read your proposal. Um, This is amazing. Had no idea you were doing this work. Why have I never seen this on your Facebook page? You know, yikes, this person that's reviewing the grant has liked us on Facebook because they have a personal life, too, and a personal passion, too. So if you're telling a story in a grant that you're not also telling in other places, you might be missing an opportunity and vice versa. Excellent point, Clay. I couldn't agree more. It's true that donors jump around from channel to channel, so nonprofits really need to stop predicting and make sure that action and story is happening on every single channel. But like Rebecca said, it doesn't have to be the same. They can be complementary. So how do we measure this? And this brings me to my last question. What's the simplest way to measure success of an integrated campaign with all the different channels going on at once? Clay, you want to share your insights on this? And then Rebecca, can you share yours? Um, I mean... You know, the data guy in me goes to dollars, right? Are, are you are you hitting your goals? Are, are you renewing donors, right? 
but defining the key metrics that matter most. There are some organizations for whom donor retention might not be the number one metric they need to. Um, I, I've been in organizations where we were. It was far more of a measure to to look at what our acquisition was and then look at retention versus the other way around because we were really building. So from a metrics viewpoint, it's it's what what are metrics that mean the most to your organization and metrics that your leadership wants to see. We often say, you know, measured gets done. Yeah, true, but sometimes sometimes what we measure just gets measured and somebody asked for a report three years ago and we're still running it even though there's not a soul in the building that's that's reading it. So really having those discussions across the board on what you are measuring <clears throat> I think is, is is really critical and from an overall from an overall perspective. I'm one of those fundraisers who, who really believes that you can build all the relationships in the world you want, um, but if you don't ask for money and you're not getting dollars in the door, you are not fundraising, right? So, but does that mean that total dollars is the metric? Um, you know, a million dollars from five donors is very, very different than a million dollars from 105 donors. So having the context of what's important and what your needs or goals are before you really say, hey, this is the thing that we're going to use to measure success is important. But then there's also the intangibles, and I think that's what gets to the heart of this question. How do you measure the success of an integrated, an integrated campaign is the intangibles. How many people just know who you are? Um, whenever I wear one of our T-shirts, uh, branded T-shirts out in the community, it, it, it never fails. At least twice somebody and tells me their story with us. Clubs coming here to play basketball, whatever it is, I been able to wear the brand out in public without getting stopped in hearing us. To me, that's a measure of success because all of my colleagues say the same thing. That's a measure of success. People know who we are. They've heard our stories. We, we have recognition. So it's, again, it's about determining what metrics are most important and what is, what is and what's the intangible that you're picking up uh, community you're working in. I agree with everything that you said, and a couple of ways that we look at measuring things. So obviously we look at donors and dollars, so how are those growing in acquisition retention upgrade? What is the pathway? And the things that um, sometimes we like to also focus on are um, looking at that either donor journey or that donor life cycle. So um, what are the things that are actually bringing in the new name? So actually getting a measurement around what's happening from a brand perspective. So you could look at, you know, what's happening from a social media standpoint. Is it growing? Is it shrinking? Do you have any paid or earned media that we need to be calculating? So what's happening down there that actually drives to a new name? Then new name to new donor, what's the time frame that that takes? And what are driving those things that actually move people from being a name on the file to a donor on the file? And then once they're a donor on the file, what are the steps that it takes potentially for donors to become a sustaining donor, whether they're month over month or year over year? Our goal is to move people into what we call a key multi-year relationship. So they've been giving to you three years or longer. And so what does that trajectory um, look like? And then how do we also look at moving those key multi-year donors um, into um, mid-level or major donor relationships and even what I call transformational giving um, so could be planned giving or something along those lines. And then how long does all of that take? And what are the steps? What are the journeys, the different 
um, donors are taking or constituents are taking so that you can actually start um, thinking through, okay, this is how this group of people came onto the file and here's the experience that, um, that actually moved them in the direction that we wanted them to go and that they actually wanted to go with us. And, um, and having a better um, insight into the makeup of your file and then measuring people as they move along that journey. So that's one approach that we take. Another approach that we also take is um, akin to what you were talking about, Clay, which is what's the one thing? Everybody's metric um, that they need to measure in a year um, or a quarter, whatever that time period is for them can be different. And so in working with our clients, we try to identify, um, and I'm stealing from the Coveys, but what's the overarching WIG, so the wildly important goal that we're going to drive towards? And then as individual teams, um, what is your battle WIG, if you are, that, that kind of ladders into that um, war WIG, if you will, so the overarching WIG? And so I could have a donor development team um, that's working in the annual fund that their WIG is really thinking through solving for the gap, the, the new continuing gaps so of somebody moving from their first year of giving to their third year of giving because we know if we can move them to the third year, that's the place that we want them to be. And so solving for that where another um, group, so maybe the major events group, they're, they're actually focused, their WIG is upgrade. So how do I find the right um, people in the mid-level that potentially should be making um, major donor gifts? And so what that allows them to do is to say, okay, this is the area that I'm focused on that is, that is underneath that overarching wig, and I'll just call it, you know, somebody has a $10 million goal, let's say, and that's what they're working towards. That's what they've decided is the most important thing. So one of the different levels, or sorry, levers inside the organization that teams can be focused on it you know, they can measure their success on, but also it drives towards the organization's overall focus for the year. Those are great. I mean, those are, those are really, really great. And I, I took a couple notes going, oh, that's a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> um, and, and let me just say a side note to that. I mean, I find that these types of conversations and listening to podcasts and reading and looking at what, what others are doing and saying so critical um, because thousand and one new ideas, we're learning so yeah. much about what we do that being on top of that information is so helpful in being able to determine, you know, what what is the thing that we need to be measuring or looking at or or doing. Um, I don't think we've said enough about segmenting, <laughs> and I'm on a tear, as, as some of my friends can tell you, I am on a tear about segmenting three appeals this week that were, you know, so you've either been a donor or a volunteer or walked past our building and at it, and we know you'd like to give. No, you don't know anything about me, and you actually have not said data, because if you took one quick look at it, you'd know that I was a donor, and I'm, I see a fair amount of that. So both in terms of, of measuring and planning, segmenting. It's 2018. We have tons of data uh, on people and the ability to get phenomenal demographic data um, that to, to not have the ability to segment people based on who they are is really missing an opportunity. It is so worth the investment of time and energy and resources and dollars. Make sure that you've got really good segments talking to people as who they are to you. I know there are a lot of folks that will say, you know, I gave online. Don't send me a paper thank you letter. So it, there is, 
and that's true. That's absolutely true. And there's there is some importance to segmenting by channel, right? So we've integrated the fundraising, and now we're going to segment these people on that channel. So in a way, we're unintegrating it. Dis- I don't know what the negative of integrating is, but, um, <laughs> you know, we want to talk to people where we are, but we also have to, but I, I do think that segmenting by channel is one of the weakest segments because that doesn't say anything about who I am as a person. It's just the action, right? It's just how I gave to you or how I interacted with you. So if we get somebody who gives online and we say, online donor, I'm never going to send them a direct mail or a newsletter or whatever, we're missing opportunities because we don't know what other channels they are looking at if we don't try to find out. Wholeheartedly agree. I mean, you can look at that in our, in our own lives. <laughs> I look at, you know, the way that my dad engages in uh, philanthropy, and he's the guy that's going to get, you know, your letter, and um, he's going to give through the letter. My mom is the person that's going to get your letter. She's going to underline everything in it. She's going to put it next to her computer, and then when it's time to give, she's going to sit down and um, give, and then because she's in front of her computer and she's done the giving, she's actually going to go read the story that's, um, that's on your website. She may actually jump over to your Facebook page, and all those things are the things that motivate her to want to stay engaged with your organization beyond just that gift. And so I love that you're talking about you can't just segment by channel, but you've got to pay attention to the fact that people are going to jump channels. Um, I also love that you're calling out segmentation as just being uh, something we have to do in 2018. Not only do we need to do it, but we need to understand the journey, if you will, for each of those donors based on those segments. So what is their, um, what is their journey, uh, donor journey? Um, who are they? How do they like to be courted? Um, what are the things that they really care about? And then making sure we're putting that information in front of them. It's the epitome of donor-centered fundraising. And, there, and there's the phrase, you know, donor-centered. If we, if we had to sum up this whole conversation in one thing, shame on us for not saying it at the outset, right? You yeah. know, what, what is the goal? What, what's the intention? What's the point of an integrated uh, fundraising program? It, it's putting the donor at the center of it. You're yeah. absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, shame on us for not putting that in the forefront. Rebecca, that's the best way to sum up this conversation and actually probably all conversations in the nonprofit sector. And so that about wraps it up for today's episode. Taylor and I want to thank you so much for joining us on this podcast and for those listening on today's podcast. Hey, Clay, Rebecca, seriously, this has been awesome. This is a it's a huge topic and the insights you shared have been amazing. Uh, I want to just zero back in on a couple of my favorite top three, like top takeaways from you guys. So Clay, I loved it back more towards the beginning of the discussion. I love that you were talking about data. I know you're a data guy and we've talked about that. Um, but how you can have a beautiful story, but if you don't have good data, it's going to be hard to build a really great, integrated, beautiful story, right? Um, I also really liked that you both were talking about this, about how we can't really predict where people are going to give, but we've got to bring clarity both to how we're telling them about our organization and also driving them to act and convert across all channels. Uh, Becca, I love what you talked about with bringing the right people into the room, looking for opportunities to integrate in that way by getting people to work together. And I also really loved what you said about 
measurement and looking at sort of on a group by group basis those wildly important goals or wigs. So thank you so much for sharing your insights today on the nonprofit chatter. It's really been awesome having you guys on. Thanks for having us. A pleasure. Thank you so much. So on behalf of Nonprofit Pro and Pursuant, see you on the next episode of the Nonprofit Chatter. Have a great day. Thank you.